Welcome to Tech Driven Business brought to you by Innovative Solution Partners. In this episode, I welcome Mark Stifter, a global governance, risk and compliance entrepreneur. Not only will he lay the foundation down for compliance, but he will share best practices he has learned along the way. Hello Mark. Welcome to Tech Driven Business. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Well, welcome. Um, so today we will be talking about compliance and, you know, I would like to hear what you have seen based on your experience. How does that sound to you? It sounds good. I want to start from the ground up, you know, let's let's begin with like, where do compliance initiatives come from and how or why do they impact individuals and organizations? What's your experience? Yeah. So really what I've seen is uh, compliance initiatives come from four main areas. Um, you know, regulatory, like the SEC, everybody's probably heard of Sarbanes-Oxley, um, you know, the FDIC or the OCC with the banking, um, with Bank Secrecy Act or anti-money laundering, uh, FINRA, you know, that protects investors and, and safeguards market integrity. Like those are, you know, when you talk about regulatory spaces, those are one of the four that I see um, another area is the board. You know, the board could decide that, uh, you know, maybe they just got back from a conference where they've learned something new about their industry around risk. Um, maybe their, their particular industry now has a higher uh, risk uh, profile around cybersecurity. So they decide that they want to have a more stringent cybersecurity uh, compliance program. So that's, that's a second way that it comes down. And then maybe uh, some of the executives, like the CFO, could decide that they want uh, more rigor around their month-end, quarter-end, or year-end close. And they say, all right, you know, coming from the CFO's office, we want to uh, bolster up controls around that. And then one of the areas I think a lot of people don't expect, but I see it a lot, is uh, from the sales organization. You know, the VP of sales that's selling a particular product may say, you know, my sales force out there keeps getting requests um, to demonstrate that we have some sort of third party review around maybe our software application um, that has safeguards because maybe uh, the client's data is going to reside in it. Those are those are really uh, the four main areas that I see it. Um, and, you know, what I kind of wanted thought we'd talk about today is not as much the philosophy around those business decisions, but more of like a 101 of uh, what I've seen happen after these edicts come from above um, and and how some people have, you know, what you want to see in place prior to leveraging a technology or a solution. Um, you know, like as, as a technologist, if you hear you're being tasked with implementing a a governance risk and compliance tool, like a GRC tool, like an open pages or maybe SAP, you know, SAP has a GRC module, Archer's got one, um, or maybe uh, you're being asked to uh, leverage some robotic process automation to automate some controls for maybe internal audit. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of like what I see happening and always the IT guys are not really, brought right into it or the control owners that are responsible for executing this don't really understand, um, haven't been brought up to speed of what's going on because generally these initiatives come and, and need to be done really fast. Um, so really, you know, 
I'll, I'll get into the definition of like what controls are in a bit, but really the better one understands how and why people are going to use the tools, the better app one will be to implement something that functions well, um, has flexibility for potential, you know, operational changes and the like. Like, like an example of something that I saw not too long ago was uh, when it came with a, a, a tool that was implemented that it was it was in and around the compliance space, but it's it probably um, people have seen similar instances in, in other tools. Is it's an organization that looked at North America as you know they managed it as the West, the Central, and the East. And once they uh, decided that they had grown and they had matured a bit, and they really wanted one of the people that was running one of those regions to step up and run all in North America. Um, there wasn't a possibility with the way the hierarchy of the tool was built. So in order to see those three regions, you had to be an admin, you know, because nobody thought down the road, we need additional levels of the hierarchy of, of the users. So, you know, it's just That's seeing things like that, you know. Yeah, no, that, and, and then it kind of brings up a little segue on that question for me. So, you know, you, you mentioned the four drivers, right? Um, now, from an industry perspective, do you see, you know, compliance being heavy in one industry versus another, or is it pretty standard across the board? Well, I would say that, you know, financial services are pretty highly regulated. Um, healthcare is pretty highly regulated. Um, and then across industries, any organization that uh, is publicly traded is going to have additional scrutiny around uh, um how they demonstrate that their uh, that their numbers are are accurate, that they're reporting to Wall Street. Interesting, interesting. So I think that kind of takes me to my next uh, uh, question: is how do we like you know what happens when leadership decides that they need to demonstrate compliance? How does that whole thing trigger? Yeah. So well, it's 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 important to have a basic understanding of what people are looking at when it comes to compliance. So briefly, I'll explain like the hierarchy of compliance with like policies, procedures, and controls, and then I'll then I'll cover high level roles that are involved and how it kind of trickles down once the uh, senior executives or or the board uh, makes a decision. But so for sim simply put, like a policies on the top end, like at a one or a 10,000 foot level, assume that's the edict of the company, right? Like uh, the company is going to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, based off of whatever one of those four scenarios uh, that I was talking about, the compliance is going to come from. Um, then under that is like the procedures and procedures are basically establishing uh, official way of doing something. It's like guidance. Uh, they vary from level and detail. You know, some can be step-by-step -step procedurals. Some people call those desktop procedures, and some can be much higher level. Um, but but the basis for compliance, a lot of it, all comes down to the controls. Um, so to give you a little basic overview of what this means, because uh, this is really where the rubber meets the road for for people that are that are at a company. They're they're being told generally to execute a control and provide documentation and evidence, and they don't always necessarily know why they're doing it. Uh, it tends to slow down processes, and it, it causes confusion when people don't understand uh, what what it's what it's really there for. So, you know, basically, what is a control is something that's put in place to prevent or detect risk, right? Like like fraud 
or somebody fat fingering a key into a, a financial system or something like that. For instance, a control could be like uh, offboarding and onboarding of users, making sure that the people that leave the organization are removed timely, um, things like that. Uh, or segregation of duties is another control for code promotion, right? Um, or, or segregation of duties inside an ERP system where you can't have somebody who has the capability to initiate a payment and authorize a payment. Um, those, those are some examples of like some basic controls. Um, and then it comes down to like the, the documentation of controls. There's, there's manual controls and then there's automated controls. And when it comes to like a manual control, um, it needs to be written up in, in a manner in which somebody who comes behind you, who you're executing the control, can really re-perform what you're saying you're doing and come to the same conclusion. You know, for instance, say um, uh, once every three months, uh, you're, you say you're, you're a system owner and the business owner of the system um, has, you know, 100 users. So maybe once every three months, you send a list of those users to that business owner saying, hey, do these users... Um, do they have the right level of access or do they not have the right level of access? And that's kind of a way of determining and having a control in place that somebody maybe switch from one department to another and maybe retained one level of access. And now they were given another level of access, but between those two accesses, um, maybe that could create a conflict. And then like, for instance, in the same scenario, uh, like an automated control, would be uh, like systems like an SAP is is just by by default not going to allow you to give one user um, roles that have a conflict, you know, and that's 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 an automated automated control. Yeah, that's a good example that you use. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that I can recall on you know, some of the projects that I've been on, especially around manual controls, right? Um, mm -hmm. When you look at um, any any manufacturing facility and or or bunch of these facilities, um, when you talk about automotive or any manufacturing uh, outfit, they have folks doing different things at different times of the year, and they ch change job positions. And in those cases, I mean, without the manual control, there is no way for them to to know exactly who switched when and what should be the new role or new access compared to what they had earlier. So. And so I think it sounds pretty pretty um, important for them to have that in place. Yeah, and and you know what I'll see like around a control like that when you know I've been in a role where I've come through to assess compliance programs, and this is always this is always something that upsets the IT people, and I get it. Is they'll uh, maybe not be notified by the business that somebody's changed a job or they're no longer with the organization. So they get audited and all of a sudden find out that there's somebody who still has access to a system that's no longer with the company. Well, it was either the HR, it was either HR's fault or it was the, the business owner's fault. Um, but the IT individual or the IT group are the ones that get hit with the deficiency. They're the ones that have to clean it up. They're the ones that get the, the black eye from it, if you will. Um, and, and really, it, it winds up there because they're the ones that are able to fix it. And, and that's the reason why Absolutely. they get tasked with it and why they get the, the deficiency. Absolutely. And I think this is where uh, a lot of times the friction comes in these kind of 
situations where the 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 control person is or the department is much different than the person who is doing the actual work, right? And and like you said, the IT versus business or HR in this case, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a real scenario, real example of what happens in in organizations, you know, in general. So uh, let me take a little segue into um, a, a, a personal question. So what have you found to be some of the most rewarding parts of your career? You know, have you been uh, in the industry for, for quite some time? So yeah. you'd like to share some? Yeah, so like I've there's been a there's been several different ones that I find re- rewarding. You know, I've I've been an entrepreneur, so I've started and, and run companies before, and it was uh, you know very rewarding when you know when an employee is coming to me and they're all excited because they're going to buy their first house or they're getting married and they like they want to share with me you know big milestones and and I feel as though at times that that I help make some of that happen, you know, whether it was by providing a job or, or giving them some experience, you know, and, and I've got, I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of old employees have done very well for themselves and, and have moved way up the ranks. And I like to feel as though um, in some capacity, I've been able to mentor them in some of that. Um, and then there's other rewarding things when it comes to projects. Uh, you know, I've had clients that uh, have just been absolutely buried with, um, you know, the, the burden of compliance and, and been able to sit down and, and either work with uh, their external auditors or their internal auditors and trim some of the controls out, or maybe work with their legal team and uh, help determine that maybe some aspects of areas of compliance um, with a little interpretation, uh, they do not need, not need to do it, you know. So those are some, some fun things that I've had. That's great. That's great. Going back to our topic, you know, let me ask you, what are some of the successful or unsuccessful characteristics of any compliance initiative that you have seen in your uh, career? Can you share some examples? Yeah. So, so um, you know, really when it comes down to successes with, with compliance programs, it really comes down to uh, how they're structured and there's, there's generally uh, an approach that I've seen out there that is, is uh, you know, generally used. It, it's like the three lines of different defense approach when it comes to a compliance program. And there's what they consider the first line, which is the operational management, which is really the people that are executing stuff. They're the process owners and the like. And then there's the risk management and compliance group, which is the second line. Now, they're really the ones that are generally the the experts uh, in the space of compliance. They're the ones that the the operational people should be able to lean on, right? And you, you ask about you know what I've seen successful, and it's it's really when that first line of defense, the people that are doing the firefighting, that are that are keeping the lights on, that are doing the day to day business, that are running business processes and like. Um, they're busy, and generally the the uh, the need for compliance and controls in place slows down their job. Um, mm-hmm. So where I've really seen it be successful is where that risk management and compliance team, that second line of defense, really works collaboratively with the the business owners and uh, can can really speed up. Sometimes I've even seen it where they've provided a lot of support with, um, 
you know, actually giving them extra arms and legs, right? Giving, helping facilitate yeah. sessions for them. So the level two, you know, they're the folks that really um, have the expertise um, where I've seen them be really successful and where I've seen programs be successful is where they have, um, you know, really partnered with the operations people um, and provide support uh, above and beyond just expertise where maybe they'll come in and they'll facilitate a session. Uh, they might have the ability to help uh, draft up some controls or uh, draft up some of the policies and procedures for that, that business unit, um, which really uh, allows them to use their expertise, pull the information out of the, the first line of defense so they can keep working on their, their, their regular jobs and then work collaboratively to get the controls in place and get the monitoring in place that they need. Okay, that makes sense. So, I mean, I think that that, that is a characteristic of a successful um, compliance initiative. Have you seen uh, where you've seen some failures because either they did not follow the process or uh, something didn't go right? I mean, do you have an example of, of that? Yeah, sure. So, really, when it comes to um, compliance programs where I've seen things go really wrong, um, and it isn't things don't go really wrong quickly. They, they tend to go wrong over a period of time and then they go really wrong quickly. Um, but it, it's really the tone at the top. So, you know, I've, I've been in organizations where um, they are very open and, and very willing to have uh, operations people that know that they have a deficiency, that know they have a problem uh, come forward. So the right amount of support can be given to them, um, you know, where, where people are allowed to come in and kind of, um, you know, you know self-divulge that they've got an issue and, and, and get it fixed. Um, that seems to work well where I've seen, on the other hand, where leadership says maybe my bonus is being tied to the success of this. And maybe there's, there's metrics tied around deficiencies or something like that um, where they come down with a hammer on people that, that do have a problem um, that creates an environment where uh, those problems are buried and they're hidden. And uh, you know, it, it can happen where somebody's hidden them for a while and then they change roles and the new person takes it on has no idea the problems even there. And then all of a sudden it turns into a much larger problem um, you know, where, maybe an external auditor comes in and finds out that there, there is a huge problem with your segregation of duties or, or you haven't been um, identifying the production of code properly and making sure that there's the right controls around code production um, promotion and the like. So, so those are some of the areas where I've seen it really bad, you know, and it comes from that the makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think we covered a, quite a bit today, Mark. Um, uh, I'd like to wrap up this session, but what would be the one takeaway you would want our listeners to leave with us today? Well, I would say, um, you know, the one takeaway would be for, I guess I, I'd, I'd almost need two takeaways, right? So like the one, one of the takeaways for the business side, the people that are actually uh, executing the controls on a day-to-day -day basis is like, 
understanding how those can really be important and how they do impact the organization. Um, if they don't understand that and it just really looks like overhead to them, um, they should be explained by by their leadership why it's important, how it impacts the organization. Um, that, that's one thing. Um, th the other thing is, is on the IT side is if you hear rumblings of a system implementation around compliance, a compliance system or anything like that, make sure you're on the steering committee right away. Make sure that, that uh, you're, you're involved because uh, I've seen it go bad with implementations when IT is brought in too late. Um, so those are, those are the two big ones I would say when it comes around compliance. Totally agree. I think the last one I, I can I can I can relate to it directly because it's always the last guys who show up at the door and they are the ones doing the work and I had no idea. If you want another story, I've got another quick story about that where a system implementation was going in. IT was never brought into the loop. Um, the vendor was getting ready to the, the the business had signed off on everything and the vendor was getting ready to migrate everything over to the IT department and give them production and everything. And uh, the IT department was purely a Microsoft stack and they had built everything in Oracle and they just said, we can't take it. So it was like eight wow. months of work out the, out the window. So, Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good takeaway. I mean, I think that's the one uh, that's a key to for a lot of folks who, who are going down this path, you know, may want to, Keep that in mind. Uh, with this, I would like to wrap up our session, uh, Mark. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Tech Driven Business, brought to you by Innovative Solution Partners. Mark shared some key points on compliance and how to be successful with it. His key takeaways? Truly understand how controls impact your organization and the importance of bringing in your IT department early on. We would love to hear from you. Continue the conversation by connecting with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Learn more about Innovative Solution Partners and schedule a free consultation by visiting isolutionpartners.com. Never miss a podcast by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Information is in the show notes.